Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Jen Gregory and Elliot Cook. She's the president of Downtown Strategies, and he's the director of real estate, both for Retail Strategies. We had Matthew Tate on from Retail Strategies a few weeks ago. Jen, you're the president of Downtown Strategies, and he talked a lot about recruitment. And he mentioned that there were other experts on downtown business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely, Dane. You know, what we have learned through working with communities all across the country is that while national recruitment of businesses is super important to bringing new sales tax revenue to the community and for quality of life enhancements, communities also are very concerned about their downtowns, about their interior core of their community. But that's really the area that showcases the unique characteristics of a community, whether it's their small and locally owned businesses, it's the place where their community can gather for events and, and festivals. And by request of our clients, we started Downtown Strategies in 2019 as a way to really provide complementary services to our national retail recruitment by assisting communities with revitalizing their downtowns, whether they are just getting started in their revitalization efforts or whether they've been doing this for quite a while, but are looking for ways to really freshen up their approach. And that's really what we do here at Downtown Strategies. Gotcha. So you started that in 2019. So I imagine it's been a choppy couple of years. I think we'll come back to that. Let's talk to Elliot first. Elliot, you're the director of real estate. So what does that entail? Yeah, thanks, Dane. So in that relationship that we have with Downtown Strategies and our parent company, which is Retail Strategies, I guess I'll back it up just a little bit and give you my kind of foray into all of this. I started out in my real estate world and property management and saw how medical office buildings were managed and operated on day in, day, at day out basis. Often also worked in commercial uh, shopping centers and class A and value add shopping centers across the country. And then when I had the opportunity to come pair up with Jen and work with Jen in downtown real estate and both of our passions being downtowns and the places we live, as well as across the country, identifying those vacancies and those opportunities on Main Street, on your town square, those areas that are so important to a community and are just ripe for redevelopment. And we've seen over the last decade, so many communities who have taken advantage of those and have been a real shot in the arm for the places where, you know, where there have been those investments. So. That's what we do is try to show these communities that we partner with their best opportunities, why they are their best opportunities. And then our whole plan oftentimes is shaped around an area where those opportunities exist. So let's talk about the last couple of years since 2019. Uh, I'd imagined that being in the downtown business has been difficult, not just for you at Retail Strategies, but for communities all across the country. What is Retail Strategies seeing? What are, you, what are you seeing on the ground? Yeah, it has been an interesting three years or so. And I, I will say that 
I'm so glad that Retail Strategies invested in this pre-COVID because we were established. We had processes in place so that we could really be nimble and assist our existing clients and others. And what we saw and what we have seen, and, and this trend has really continued, is that there has been a real shift in priorities of city leaders. They're still thinking about national retail. It's always going to be important to them. But during the pandemic, their friends, their neighbors were those downtown small business owners. They were hurting. They couldn't open their stores. And so there was that real emotional connection, their desire to really help them. Similarly, we've seen that a lot of our clients at Retail Strategies are more rural communities. And we say rural in California, that can mean a community of 90,000. But in other parts of the country, that can mean communities of 4,000 or 7,500. So many of those rural communities are located near these larger urban areas, which used to be the hub of employment. Now, because of COVID and, and even still to this day, those corporations haven't called their employees back to the home office full time. So people are working from home, closer to home, and they're really changing their consumer behavior as a result. They're shopping more with those local property owners. They're buying their groceries at the local grocery store rather than driving into the city. And we've really seen this shift in the way that people are living their lives. And that has created new opportunities for communities, for downtowns. But at the same time, it's layered with those challenges that the pandemic created. More vacancies, challenges paying rent, property owners looking for creative ways to activate their buildings. We have been busy. I think that is an understatement. Since we started Downtown Strategies in 2019, we're now working in 23 states, I think it is, um, across the country from coast to coast. And really, it's been a, a true privilege to be able to um, sit up, to partner with these communities to find out what their unique needs are and provide real tangible solutions. And and that's really where real estate comes into play as a, a major differentiating factor, I think, for our company. It's unusual that a downtown planning firm has such depth of experience and accreditation in real estate. But we think that's really the key to making changes. I'm so glad that we have Elliot on our team and that we're able to talk about that with you today. So Elliot, from the real estate perspective, what have downtowns experienced and, and what's it look like today? I think it's really interesting I mean, if we rewind back to March of 2020 and think about when the world first shut down, I can think about where I live and live in downtown Birmingham. There was this kind of odd time where we first thought this is going to last one week. And then there was this, let's walk around, let's support these businesses. And then as we saw that this was going to last longer, there was that moment of panic or whatever you want to call it where there was this moment of, we all have to get together and we have to support these local businesses. And when that happened, right, what were the businesses when we first thought, okay, we may lose some businesses because of this global pandemic that's hitting our communities. It wasn't your McDonald's. It wasn't your Walmart that you thought we have to save these companies. We have to save these businesses. It was your local retail. And there was an appreciation for them. There was an understanding that those businesses were going through a shift in how they were going to be handling carry-out orders and those types of things. And I will say in that experience there as well, there was this new appreciation for walkability, this new appreciation for doing things that meant something tangibly, 
whether it be an experience or an appreciation for your neighbor in, in a common space, things like that. And oftentimes Main Street or your town square, things like that, a park was where those things took place. So from a real estate standpoint, I would say downtowns have been stronger, especially in more tertiary and rural communities than ever they have been pre-1980. And I don't think that's slowing down. I think that is here to stay. I think as we, we want to talk about the generations that are here, the millennials, the Gen X, um, Gen Z, those groups have an appreciation for it. And I don't see that stopping anytime, anytime soon. So I think downtown real estate is strong and will continue to be strong. And the trends we're seeing for 2022 are all saying that. It's interesting that you've both brought up this idea of transportation. People used to get up in the morning, get in their car, maybe stop at McDonald's or something on the way to the office or to get their breakfast, but they would drive to work wherever that would be. And let's say it was half an hour in California, it could be two and a half, three hours away, but they would drive to the office. They would, you know, put in their day's work. They'd maybe go out to lunch or something near their office. And then at the end of the day, they would drive home and maybe they would stop off at, like you said, a, a grocery store that was mostly local to their office. And because of the density of people working in that area, there were probably larger grocery stores and Costco's and big box things. They'd pick something up and then they'd go back home to their house and go inside and eat their food and go to bed. But now during the pandemic, they didn't. And after the pandemic, and as the pandemic is ending and people haven't gone yet gone back to the office, they are exploring their very local environment. They're walking, they're going downtown. It is interesting because when I was younger, I'm a Gen Xer, and when I was young, downtowns of cities were just absolute barren wastelands. They were dilapidated and they had homeless and garbage and it was just, like I said, a wasteland. And as I got older and, and into my teens, there started to be some downtown revitalization, maybe a fancy coffee shop, would, or a, not a fancy coffee shop. At first, it would be a, a sort of a divey coffee shop would be in. And then eventually it became something a little fancier. And then eventually Starbucks came in and started this whole revitalization process. So it is interesting that it's transportation related because this um, pandemic pulled us all closer to home. But also, like you said, it's generational. I grew up with the idea, this sort of nostalgia that I never really had of the 1950s walkable downtown. And now it's coming to fruition. And so later generations, you know, probably had the same idea. So is this just the absolute right time? And did the pandemic speed the process up dramatically in your Yeah, I think so, Dane. I think that it is generational and when we think about, let's say millennials, for example, this Elliot talks about this a lot when we're in our communities visiting with stakeholders, that there's typically this stereotype of millennials, that they're teens on their phones and, and all of that. That was 10 years ago. Now those millennials are having kids, they're buying homes, they're settling down, and but still those characteristics remain. And what those really signature characteristics are of the millennial is that they crave an experience, but they also expect convenience. And when I think about all of our lives, we're all busy professionals. We have families, we have hobbies and interests, but because we're so connected on our devices, we're really never able to compartmentalize those. We're always on call and that convenience is essential. And I think that's a, a big reason we're seeing people think about their lives in 
a smaller ring, if you will. Whereas before it was, sure, I can live here, but I work there. I've got a two-hour radius ring where my life exists. We don't have that kind of time anymore. So we're really shrinking that ring down to think about 20 minutes. So when Elliot talked a lot about walkability, that really enhances the experience of life. Yeah, I can drive to McDonald's and get a McCafe black coffee, or I can walk three minutes down to the local shop. I can get a more boutique style coffee, maybe pay a little bit more, but I get to see my friends. I interact with my community and that experience is rich. So I think the pandemic did accelerate that in terms of consumer behavior and wishes. But I also think, let's think about what's happening in the world today, where we are inevitably seeing those gas prices go up. We know that politics aside, the president is really putting an emphasis on electric vehicles and rethinking our transportation modes and existence. And so when we think about electric cars, most of them have a range of a couple of hours before they need to recharge again. We're seeing electric car chargers go downtown so that when people charge their cars, they can walk around and get a coffee or get a glass of wine. I, I definitely think that the pandemic has exacerbated and accelerated this trend, but also world affairs and our changing priorities and dependence on materials and, and fuel and whatnot has really added another layer to this. And as we continue to talk about generations, we've been saying for the last couple of years on both sides, retail strategies, as well as downtown strategies, meaning downtown retail versus national retail to think about the millennial because the millennial is the largest consumer out there, as well as the largest consumer group of all time in this country. And they need to be thought about. And that's not to say we need to forget older generations and whatnot, but they need to be thought about because they are the largest consumer group. It's interesting to see this and how the pandemic has accelerated this. As we talked about types of retail that is great for a downtown or types of events or things that happen in a downtown and why this is important. I just saw a Barron's article like a month ago, and it was talking about retail stocks and the top 10 things you need to look for, the top five types of things you need to look for when you're investing in a retail company. And it was these things. It was the companies that have prioritized personalized experiences, which is what we talk about. The millennial wants an experience. The millennial wants to live in Galveston or wants to live in Birmingham, Alabama. But five years ago was living in Washington, DC and Manhattan and Houston and wants some of those same experiences back in their, the communities where they have decided to settle down. They also realize that they're the, the generation that grew up first realizing that where Walmart and Kmart got it wrong. We've all had that experience where we went to Walmart. There was nobody to help you. Things weren't where they were supposed to be on the shelf, things like that. People didn't feel like they were wanted in those stores or things, those types of things. That's why downtown, those downtown businesses that are doing it so well are doing it so well is that experience. The next thing they talk about is wellness. I talk about this all the time for downtown vacancies is talking about going after gyms or boutique fitness or juice bars, things like that. A lot of communities where we work, they laugh when I talk about these things, but these are things that look at these nutrition group of businesses that are popping up in these small towns all across the country, those types of things. And you can see all these fitness apps and whatnot just exploded over the pandemic. That's a big one. Delivery speed, talking about carry out, talking about those types of things. Once again, 
the downtown is oftentimes, well, we're not talking about a drive-through per se, but the downtown oftentimes is the most convenient to where someone works, where they live, those types of things. And then the last two, you know, being sustainability. When I think about at the heart of sustainability, talking about an old property, talking about, I think a lot of times small businesses really get it right in either the idea of reuse of, a, of something or being more eco-friendly while still being budget conscious. And then finally, the last one, which I always think is great, is supply chain. And I know this is something that is obviously huge and I think is a big thing, especially that's near and dear to Jen's heart, which is a maker community, the small scale uh, manufacturing, which once again, harkens back to small businesses, harkens back to downtown. Even though we're talking about when we're talking about investing in retail stocks and whatnot, we're talking about these larger trends, they go back to things that downtown businesses and downtown retailers and real estate groups have been focusing on for the last decade. And I think it just shows the shift of where the consumer is looking for the next 10 years, for the next year. And I think it is a perfect fit and shows how downtown is important and is going to continue to be. Thank you, Elliot. Question that pops in my mind, especially because you're the real estate guy, how do the prices of downtown properties, especially older, underused or underutilized buildings, how do they compare with maybe building a new big box retailer or a, not even a big box, but a, you know, a smaller one or being in a strip center outside of the downtown core? And maybe because of the pandemic, things are a little bit weird, but typically how does that compare? Yeah, you bring up a great question, right? This is the issue with downtown real estate. And obviously it's something we try to have a conversation with all of our clients about. The problem is not the space or you know, the, the real estate itself. It's oftentimes the condition of the space. The property is, was built in 1920. It had a, you know, a tenant in it for a long time, but it's the minute a, a space goes dark, it starts to have zoning issues, code issues. The pipes freeze or, or all of a sudden you have roof issues. The HVAC unit hasn't been serviced in however long it's been. And then all of a sudden these charges compound, obviously with zoning and whatnot as well, talking about sprinkling a space especially if it's multi-level, things like that. Those are the things that make downtown real estate unapproachable or unaffordable. And oftentimes the tenants that are moving into these spaces, they are, they're not the most well-capitalized groups. They're entrepreneurs. They don't have, they have a dream. They're really good at making a cup of coffee, but they don't have incredible credit and they don't have tons of angel investment behind them. So those are barriers to entry, but I feel very strongly and what people need to think about if they have downtown real estate or if they're, these are city officials listening to this podcast is where are those small spaces? Where are those thousand square foot spaces, 650 square foot spaces that are approachable that a small business can get into for $500 a month with the ability to actually cash flow within the first 90 days. That's always my approach is the first 90 days, how can you actually turn a profit if, if at all possible? Because that's how Oftentimes a 10 year triple net lease in those shopping centers you're talking about, that's how those, those leases are written. So to this point, to answer your question, I think depending on the retailer and depending on the space, downtown real estate should be able to compete. It's just the quality of the space and trying to get downtown real estate spaces to be at the quality of national real estate spaces is the issue in the barrier currently.
It almost seems like the national issue of our infrastructure has not been reinvested in over the last 50 years, and now we're paying the price for it. So that, that's right. That is, that's an interesting perspective. Jen, I want to talk about makerspaces since Ellie brought that up because I'd like that, I'd like to talk about that as well. But I, I like to think of them as small scale manufacturing, local small scale manufacturing. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, there's a great book by Ilana Proust that's called Recast Your City. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yes. And that's really her whole point is that downtowns need to, need to revitalize, but they don't just need to rely on to revitalize. And I've experienced that when I was in California, I was in a very small town just outside of Yosemite National Park. And it was a, a tourist gateway that didn't know it was a tourist gateway before I got there. But I really pushed everybody to build up the experience economy and demonstration economy, meaning if you were a shop that sold pottery, it would be better to have someone in the shop making pottery while the tourists were wandering the streets so that they would have some, it would be something more than just retail. But I was looking at it purely as an experience. And after talking to Alana, I had her on the podcast, I don't know, six months ago, it, it really dawned on me that, no, you need to actually make the things there because manufacturing is what that drives jobs, that drives the economy, though that's an export industry. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about makerspaces and what role they play in downtowns. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Alana is right on and we, we love her book. Our whole team has it. We reference it a lot. She's really on the forefront of this and she's exactly right. And here's how we tie it all together because you're right, Dave. We do need people making the items in these buildings and creating jobs and utilizing that space. But that is also an experience that is offered, right? So it's really all of these things tied together. And it segues so well from what Elliot just talked about identifying this smaller space. We used to think in communities that a building, if it was mixed use, it was retail on the bottom, residential above. And that's still a great application of a mix of uses, but that, that's not the only choice. So how about if there's a 10,000 square foot building, maybe there can be on the storefront, on that prime visible space, maybe that's where your retail is. So you demise walls and cut out 3,000 square feet, maybe three 1,000 square foot spaces. And then in the back of that space, is where those retailers stockpile their goods for their online order fulfillment. Because we know if those retailers aren't online, they're not really going to be able to, to thrive in the future. So we're now taking that ground floor for a, a bricks to clicks approach. Then going upstairs, residential is a great use. Elliot just talked about how the condition of the spaces remains a challenge. Sprinkling those upper floors for residential use is super expensive. And so oftentimes that space is just empty. So looking at that upper floor space as maker space, perhaps, where truly bringing jobs, bringing users to the downtown that are going to leave and go grab lunch or they're going to get coffee on their way to work. It's really creating this ecosystem that it's going back to the pre-World War II way we used to use downtowns, where it was the center of communities. It was where people worked, where they traded, where they lived. And that's really our goal is to see downtowns return to that use, but with a modern flair. 
So we, we're big fans of it. It's really a way to protect the retailer, to give them a smaller space, but then utilize the entire building for true economic development. Thinking about those spaces that Jen's talking about and just continuing this as well, so many city officials and so many cities are used to incentivizing industrial development and then large scale retail development. I can't tell you how many over my career stories we hear about a city incentivizing a Chick-fil-A and every community that doesn't have a Chick-fil-A, of course, wants one. And every community that doesn't have a Walmart wants one. And they're willing to, to invest all of this money in, in recruiting that Walmart. And that's great. And that's wonderful. But back to thinking about small scale development thinking about maker spaces and mixed use properties and whatnot. You know, there's this great group out of Asheville, North Carolina called Urban Three. And, and they're the gentleman who heads that company created this idea, which I wholeheartedly believe in and wish I had thought of quite frankly, talking about where do you get more sales tax generation per acre? Is it a mixed use property or is it a Walmart? Same goes with jobs per acre. So let's say in a 20,000 people, there's a downtown building that's four stories tall, the ground levels retail, there's a law firm or something like that above it. And then there's a couple lofts, right? What do you actually get more money from? What, what sales tech generation, what jobs? And oftentimes the downtown property actually generates more for the community than the Walmart does, but people don't think of it that way. So trying to shift those ideas back in that direction, I think is brilliant. I think it's obviously proven by data, which everything we try to do is data driven. And you're hearing us talk a lot about generational groups and things like that. And that's all coming from data. And, and it just shows that downtown real estate is here to stay. We hear about it all over the country. Listen, Jen, I live in Alabama. Jen lives in Mississippi. The places we live move slowly. And a lot of the towns where we work, things move slowly, but I promise you, if it hasn't happened in your community, it's coming and be ready for it. Well, that segues nicely into the webinar that you're having next week. Next week for us, and it's going to be in the past for our listeners. So why don't you tell us about it? Sure. And, and I'll let Jen help as well. But basically it's that. We're, the, the webinar is about trying to identify and activate retail vacancies in your downtown. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get anyone who is interested to join the webinar. We know we oftentimes have a lot of elected officials or chamber representatives, people who work in economic development. And we want you to know why, A, it's important. Why is it important to revitalize your downtown? Why is it important to activate that vacancy in your downtown or on your main street? The second thing we want to do is if we're talking about a city official, we want you to know how you can help. And oftentimes too, it's where are you getting in the way or not you particularly, but as a city, oftentimes our code is the thing that stymies growth and that you may, you don't want it to be that way. But you know, what we want you as a city to say, does our code reflect who we want to be as a downtown, as a community? And that's incredible and, or, and very important to think about. The next thing that we're going to do, we're going to provide a checklist for you as well, is how you can identify your most retail ready vacancy. In the next 90 days, if I moved to your community and wanted to open that juice bar or that coffee shop that we've referenced earlier, could I do it? And is there a space that you could provide to me tomorrow that I could go sign a lease or acquire that space? And then finally, the questions that we get everywhere we go 
is how to deal with those problem properties. There's a lot of properties that are incredibly dilapidated or their property owners are absentee or are intentionally wanting it to stay vacant because it's a tax shelter of some sort, things like that. How do you deal with those? What are strategies that city officials and elected officials and city government can do to take steps in a positive direction? And then hopefully we've already gotten a lot of questions submitted. We'll have a lot more, I'm sure, during it and try to help groups to think about their downtown. Jen, do you have anything? Yeah, I think what what I'm excited about is that, you know, what Elliot is going to be covering really exemplifies our model as a company at, at Downtown Strategies in particular, and that is incremental success, incremental growth. When you think about your downtown, it can be overwhelming. We were just on a, a call with a wonderful community just a few minutes ago, and they had a closure, a kind of a signature business closed, and they were just devastated and, and didn't know where to start and were all considering abandoning their efforts because they had worked so hard and, and then had this negative impact. And so what we really tried to first get across is that it's a marathon, not a sprint. It is. It takes a long time for our downtowns to really get to where we want them to be. Think how long it took for them to get to where they are today from that pre-World War II center of life commercial standpoint. So we really try to promote that. But also when we are working with communities and putting strategic plans together for them, considering their retail and, and their real estate, we look at a five-year window. Many firms are creating master plans that, that take into account 20 years. Um, we don't think that's practical. We think that in 20 years, that plan is going to get lost. There's going to be change of staff. There are going to be resource shifts. There might be a global pandemic. Goodness forbid. Really looking at incremental bite-sized strategies that are truly able to be utilized by cities. If, if the city can implement a strategy and see that needle move just a little bit, that's going to give them the courage and the confidence to keep it up. And so that's really our approach with downtown strategies. And I think that's certainly Elliot's approach when looking at retail. He talked about finding that one building, that thousand square foot building, get success out of that. Have that property owner find the right tenant, help them improve the facade with a grant, with a matching incentive program, and then get that buzz going in the community that, you know, something's happening here. Things are turning around. I want to be part of that. People are hungry these days to get back downtown. We've talked a lot about that today. So really bringing it down to a bite size, very small incremental level is what we recommend because we think that's the best way to see. Excellent. Finally, is one last question before we go. What about those towns that don't have a downtown that maybe because of the just the nature of growth patterns, they they never actually developed a downtown, but now they're they're looking at their situation, their what the state of the buildings and the the state of their community. And they're thinking, you know what, we really need a downtown. We have a festival and we have it over here and we have this farmer's market and we have it over here. What is your advice to those kind of communities? Either, I'll jump yeah. in and then I'm sure Elliot is going to have some thoughts as well. But this is common for us. This is a common question. And in fact, quite a few of our clients in California fit this mold. And there's definitely opportunity. But where, where we really recommend that they start is first by identifying, like you said, where is the natural gathering place? And the, ideally, that gathering place would be 
near some city-owned property, near the city hall, a park, something like that. And then let's identify opportunities for synergy for building out around that. It's, again, we look at this incremental level because we all, you know, want to just find a location and build a downtown, but that's not possible. That's too tough. So we also look at that 20-minute walk time radius. And we talked a lot about walkability. In that natural gathering space, what is within a 20-minute walk time? Are there neighborhoods? Is there a grocery store? Is there a school? And then from there, are there dedicated pathways for individuals from that neighborhood to walk to that area? That's a great place to start. Then we start layering in events, activities, signage, and then looking at what are the real estate opportunities. Can the city buy up some property around this area to use as an incentive? We look at the zoning and codes. Is it zoned for a commercial highway or is it zoned for an urban core like we want to create? Look at, at it all in terms of layering, but we first identify what are the assets and how can we connect the people to this natural gathering? Yeah, Jen nailed it there. I'm, I'm going to phrase it a little differently. And since, like you just mentioned, Dane, the webinar is going to, or this podcast is going to debut after the webinar, I'll show some cards now. As I mentioned at the beginning, I started in real estate or early on in my real estate career, I was managing class A grocery anchored, target anchored shopping centers. And looking at the way that shopping center developers, shopping center owners thought of their spaces that were charging $30 a foot rents and had a target as the anchor or had a that big national grocer as the anchor, what were the strategies that they took and why can you not apply that to your downtown? You as a city official are the proper, the private equity group that owns that shopping center, that your shopping center is the downtown. So first off, going back to what is your anchor? Like Jen was talking about, we work with a community that maybe the same community that was in, in, a, in a way, a, a gateway to Yosemite. And when we talked about their downtown, they, they do have a downtown, but when we're talking about their real estate assets, we're trying to focus them around things like things like where their farmer's market was where the major employers were, where the city hall is, those are the anchors of your downtown. They need to be the focus of where you spend a lot of your infrastructure efforts, where you need to spend a lot of your time trying to infill, like she talked about synergy. We talk in shopping centers, we call them co-tenancy. What are those adhesion, those small spaces to build around where there's already an ability to gather people, like Jen mentioned, very important and to me, that is what you need to figure out. If you have something, whether it's a river, whether it is a park, whether it is a building that people are already willing to gather, for some people, maybe it's the baseball field, something like that. What is your anchor and how do you build around? This has been absolutely fascinating. I have learned uh, more about downtown redevelopment than I thought I was going to. I thought I was coming in, you know, knowing quite a bit about this, but you have opened my eyes and I'm looking forward to going to your, attending your webinar. And I hope that there, is there going to be a recording that we're going to share with this podcast for, yeah, okay, good. I, so I hope that we can share the, the recording of the webinar with our audience later. And I hope that if any of our listeners have any questions, they reach out to you. What is the best way for them to get into contact with either one of you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So our website, retailstrategies.com, has portals to all of our different lines of service. Any of your listeners are interested in learning about downtown or getting in touch with us, they can go to that downtown strategies tab and fill out a contact form or all of our contact information is on the website, our email addresses and our phone numbers. So we would love to talk to any of your listeners about their unique opportunities and challenges in their downtowns. And Dane, we really do appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today and appreciate all the good work you're doing in the economic development field and look forward to our continued collaboration in the future. Absolutely. Thank you both very much. And I hope that uh, we can run into each other in the future and, and maybe work together. Absolutely. Thank you, Dane. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.